So Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2, obviously I want to thank Pastor for the opportunity, oh, there we go, and special thanks to the guys in the back who are filling in for me today, so I'm uh, obviously nervous, I'd rather be behind the scenes than up here, so I, I know many of you, and it's been a blessing to me already, that are, yeah, have come up and said we're praying for you, and so that means uh, so much to me, um, so again, I want to thank the pastor for the staff as well. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're just going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to look at the setting of Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, the book of Nehemiah is uh, one of my favorites. The character, Nehemiah, is, is just every time I, I look at this book and read more about Nehemiah, I'm, I mean, what a hero. What a hero of the faith. Um, established a lot of... Um, well, reestablished a lot of uh, the Old Testament law and the, uh, re- with respect to the temple worship, the sacrifices and those kind of things. And so led another return. Historically speaking, it's probably the last Old Testament book uh, as far as um, chronologically speaking. And so Nehemiah's return uh, to, the, to the nation of Israel We're going to see kind of the setting here in verses 1 through 3. So let's jump right in. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? First thing kind of we see about the setting is the setting of Israel, the nation of Israel. We see in verse 3, again, that the, that the city, for the most part, uh, lie in waste, and the gates were consumed with fire. And so that's kind of where we pick up with the nation of Israel. The person of Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. He was the king's cupbearer. Uh, so close at hand to the king, but again, a slave, a servant in front of Artaxerxes the king. Uh, but we see him in chapter 1, in, or I'm sorry, in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, that he was faithful. Nehemiah was a faithful servant. He was there. Um, we see that Artaxerxes even noticed, hey, you're not normally sad. You know, what's, what's going on? He's faithful. He's doing his job with the right heart, again, even though he was a slave in a foreign uh, land. But we see also about Nehemiah's, we see his, uh, he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken and, and he's burdened. And we're going to look more into that uh, in a few minutes. But that's the, that's the, the setting for Nehemiah. And then, of course, Artaxerxes, the setting for him, is generally unaware of the situation from a biblical standpoint. Uh, he's the world leader at the time. He's got a lot of things to worry about, and the last thing on his mind is the status of the nation of Israel. He doesn't care about the walls, so he's unaware. Not that he's uncaring about it, but he's unaware. And we also see that he's comfortable. Again, in verse 1 through 3, he's sitting in his palace. It's his 20th year. You don't hear of any wars necessarily going on. He's sitting there. He's getting served his cup like normal. So everything's kind of normal for Artaxerxes. All of this is where we find 
this powerful reminder in God's word about his omniscience and his unconscious preparation in our lives. We're going to see that God is already at work in our lives doing what only he can do. And we see this all throughout this portion of Scripture. But that brings us to a specific point here. We also see that we have a responsibility. When it's our turn to act, God desires that we rise up and build. Rise up and build. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak your word. Lord, to look into your word. Lord, help us to prepare our hearts even now to hear what your Spirit wants to speak to us about. And Lord, help us to be faithful and to be willing to say yes and to be about it, to do it. Lord, thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. And Lord, thank you for who you are and for our great salvation. We'll give you the praise for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to jump right in. The first thing we see about this story uh, begins in Again, chapter 2, verse 4, we see an inquiring at the palace. Inquiring at the palace. Verse number 4 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I pray to the God of heaven. Again, the setting is Nehemiah is standing there. He's bringing the cup before Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes sees that he's, he's sad. Something's wrong, which again, to be... Um, ill-mannered or, or unhappy in a monarch in those days, presence, you could, be, you could be killed, right? Obviously, we know that from verse 2, where it says, then I was sore afraid, right? Artaxerxes looks at him and goes, mm, something's not right with you. Problem, right? And so he's sitting there going, we got, we got big problems, okay? And so, but you see the, the heart that Nebuchadnezzar, or that, I'm sorry, that Artaxerxes has for Nehemiah when he says, what is your request? Make it. You know, what are you, what are you asking me uh, to do when he recounts to him in verse 3, hey, here's why I'm sorrowful. Here's why I'm burdened. I'm burdened for my homeland, that the walls are destroyed, my city's lying in ruins, and the gates are consumed with fire. And so Artaxerxes says, well, what are you asking for me? And so we see that he's, he's getting ready to talk to Artaxerxes the king. But long before this, if you turn quickly to chapter 1, we see there's been some stuff happening behind the scenes that is preparing Nehemiah for this, for this conversation. Chapter 1, verse 4, and, and when we inquire at the palace, we must always begin, before we talk to the physical person, we must always talk to God first. We must have our right, uh, a right relationship, a right uh, directing from God the Father. And so we see in chapter 1, we're going to go quickly for, uh, for time's sake, he hears that his, that his country's destroyed. And you see that in verses 1 through 4. Uh, we'll just uh, skip down to verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard those words, this again a report from um, verse 2, you can see it there, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He realizes that this is, this is a burden of his, and the one that can help is not sitting on the throne in Shushan, the palace, but he's sitting on the throne of the universe. And I want you to know, church, that no matter what is going on, 
The answer does not lie down here. The answer is always uh, from our Heavenly Father. And so he hears uh, the trouble. Secondly, he acknowledges who God is. Verse number 5, the Bible says, He prayed to the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He's, he's telling the Lord, when we, when we pray, uh, Christ instructed his disciples, when you pray, pray, our Father which art in heaven. We acknowledge who God is in our prayer, and we see that Nehemiah follows the same pattern. He confesses his sin in verses 6 through 7. It says, let not, I'm sorry, verse 6 of chapter 1, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. And so he's, he's confessing his sin. Obviously, they didn't get to the nation of Babylon, and by extension Persia, without their own fault. They're, they sinned against the Lord. The Lord brought judgment, and this is where they, he finds himself. And he says, look, we do have sin. We're, we're here of our own accord. Lord, hear, hear me, and I'm confessing my sin before you and the sins of our people. And so he confesses his sins. Verse uh, 8 and 9, we see that he rehearses the promises of God. You know, God's promises are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, right? And so as, as he's confessing his sin, he, he understands from the Old Testament, from, from the law, from the dedication of the temple, that God has made some promises concerning this very thing. And so he says in verse 8, Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, you can just hear him. Hey, we're here, right? I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost parts of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. As I was reading through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Chronicles, that phrase in the dedication of the temple was repeated over and over and over. That I have set my name there. God chose to set His name in Jerusalem, and so Nehemiah is obviously God doesn't forget, but He's reminding Himself and He's rehearsing the promises of God into God's ears, and He's saying, "Look." You've said if we remember and if we confess our sins that you'll lead us again to this place. And so rehearses the promises of God. And then he prays specifically, verses 10 and 11. Prays specifically. He says, Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Uh, and so he's, he has prayed this from the time that he heard this news. It's been about six months. You, can just, you just know that this has been his prayer. It's, on, it's been on his heart. He's burdened for his nation. 
in chapter 2, when we go back, when we go back over there, and we, we got to move, okay? I have this problem. Darlene knows. Darlene's sitting down here. I call it landing the plane. We, gotta, we, we get up. We got we to gotta land the plane at a certain time. So I get uh, our brother down here some time. So we're going to go quicker. So hang with me, okay? So, so we see that um, the king spots him. He says, hey, look, you're sad. What's going on? Make your request. And you can just see in verse number four, he says, so I pray to the God of heaven. I don't know if chapter one's prayer takes place right here. I, I'm kind of thinking it's a, it's a smaller, maybe abridged version of that prayer. Maybe, Lord, help me. <laughs> um, kind of what I was praying during at the cross. So, <laughs> so he prays, but he's been praying. And that's, the, that's what I want to get across, is that he's been preparing to speak to the king. He's inquiring at the palace. So we see the prayer, praying, to, praying to God. Secondly, pleading with the king. His request was granted. In verses 5 through 6, he um, says, If it please the king, and if thy servant has found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. He wants to go and, and rebuild the wall. A wall in the Old Testament, olden times, was a uh, sign of defense city. It was, it was a city that was established. It was no longer in ruin. It was ready to, to be occupied and to stand against somebody. And so here is a servant of, of the king of the world, basically, and he says, I want to go back to my hometown and put a wall around it. I want to build it up, um, not for your glory, for God's glory, right? And, and so the request is outlandish. But what does the Bible say? And the king said unto me, the queen sitting by in verse 6, For how long shall thou journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Do you see God's preparation in, in his life and in Nehemiah's life? I, I don't know, you know, I, I mean, how do you request something like this and expect the king to grant it, except that, we see that he does, and we're going to see here in a minute uh, the end of verse 8. And so we see the request granted, and then we see the reminder of God's power in 7 and 8. And I love this. In verse 7, it starts with the word moreover. Church, God oftentimes answers in the moreover. When we request something, yes, he gives us that request sometimes, but a lot of times we see, especially when we look back, Man, God answered my prayer in the moreover. So what was the moreover that Nehemiah saw him answer? Moreover, verse 7 says, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that, I may, that they may convey me over till I come. The king provided protection for him. He sent the captain of his, of his army. We see that in verse 9. And he conveyed Nehemiah and the group that went with him for the purpose of rebuilding the wall. He provided their protection. That's not all he did. He provided the provision. Verse number 8 says, In a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace that appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me. And why did he do all of this? What, what was going on in Artaxerxes' mind? What was going on um, at this time? Look at the end of verse 8. I skipped it intentionally. According to the good hand of my God upon me. 
Artaxerxes granted these requests, whether he knew it or not, according to the good hand of God upon Nehemiah. And so we see the inquiring of the palace. Secondly, we see the investigating the problem. We're going to go quickly. Verse number 11, um, he arrives at Jerusalem. Nehemiah, he, he gets up. He's being conveyed by uh, Artaxerxes' captain of his host, probably some armed guards. He appoints Nehemiah ruler of Jerusalem, the governor. Okay, so he grants Nehemiah the cupbearer to be the, the head guy when he arrives at Jerusalem. So you can just imagine the people in Jerusalem that are already there. There's already been two returns that we know of, one under Zerubbabel and one under Ezra. And they're sitting there. They're, they've rebuilt the temple. It's been several years. But the wall is gone. So you could see from on top of Jerusalem a great distance. And they would have seen Nebuchadnezzar and these armed guards coming and conveying him to Jerusalem. So they know he's here. They know he's arrived. It says in verse 11, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And so we see that he investigates the problem. First off, he investigates the task. Verse number uh, under this, he, uh, he counted the cost. We're going to see that he, he woke up in the night and he surveyed the task that was going to be done. So the first thing under that is he saw the whole problem. We're going to kind of look at it on the screen. Matt's got it for us. Um, i got to fix the confidence monitor, but you just have to kind of go there. So it says, I'll read the passages. We're going to be starting at the valley gate, which is on the bottom left of that picture. Says this in verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 13, and I went out by night by the gate of the valley, that's in the bottom left there, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, he's going counterclockwise around the bottom there, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on by the gate of the fountain, that's coming up the other side, and to the king's pool, that's kind of southeast, if you're following along on the map up there. But there was no place for the beast that, I was, un, that was under me to pass. Then went I up by the, in the night by the brook. So the brook runs through the Kidron Valley on the east side of the wall and viewed the wall. And it says, and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And so you can kind of surmise that he went around the whole thing and returned and went back in the, the, the gate of the valley. Why do I say all that? Why did I bring the map? He viewed the problem from all sides. He, he really investigated the problem. He looked into what was going to be the task that was set before them. And so he investigates the task. Secondly, we see that he investigates the problem. He's, he's aware of the circumstances that are there. We skipped over it, but verse 10 tells us that there was op opposition. There was opposition. When Sanballat the Horite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceeding, exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. These guys were governors of the area around Jerusalem, and they were upset that, there was someone, that someone was coming specifically to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And so 
he sees this opposition. He's not blind to it. The other thing that he, he sees kind of jumped out again to me as I was studying this. He also saw the damage. He would have definitely seen the rubble of the walls that existed before. Well, why is that important? The damage would have had to have been dealt with in order to build. So my question then is, is there something in your life that must be cleansed out before God can start working, before you can start building? The rubble there from all sides, he would have seen the destruction, the, the desolation, the burned gates, the, the stone that was destroyed when Babylon came in. All that would have to be removed. All of it would have to be taken away so that they can begin building the wall again. And so there's a, there's a purging that has to occur. And church, there's a purging in our life that has to occur when we desire to do something and to build something for the Lord. Sometimes he points something out and says, hey, as you're, as you're looking around, see this destruction here? That's something that has to be removed before I can rebuild right there. And so he investigates the problem. Thirdly and, and quickly, he inspires the people. So we see that he inquires at the palace, he investigates the problem. Lastly, he inspires the people. This is, again, fascinating to me. Have you ever tried to, to inspire someone to do something that's your idea? <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't really go that well, right? Hey, I got a great idea. Well, that's good for you, but what does that mean for me, right? So here's these children of Israel that have been sitting there. And yeah, some of them were burdened by the wall. The guy in, that spoke to, to Nehemiah in chapter 1, he said, yeah, we're in desolation. The walls are destroyed. The gates are consumed with fire. But here's a, a large group of Israelites that are sitting there on Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, that are basically just okay to be there. They're not inspired to build the wall. They're not trying to, to clean up the rubble that's there. They're just kind of going through the motions. Well, Nehemiah's come back, and his desire, what God's put on his life and in, on his heart, is to rebuild the walls. He needs people. He needs them to, to take his dream, his, his desire that God's given him, and make it their own. How's he going to do that? Verse 17. The Bible says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress. This is his first conversation with the people that are there. He's come, he's surveyed, he's not spoken to a soul. He gets them all together and he says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. That's his request. Hey, you see, it's your home. You're here. You've been here for 20, 30 years. We're a reproach. Let's build up the wall so that we be no more a reproach. Well, how's that going to go over? Verse number 18, we see the response from God's people. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. What inspired them was not that Nehemiah was come to do something in Nehemiah's power. 
that wouldn't have really inspired them much. But it was when he told them of the hand of his God which was good upon him, as also the king's word, again, what we've, what we've talked about. Hey, I was standing in Artaxerxes' palace two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, whatever it was, and we were having a conversation, and I asked him if I could come back to my hometown and rebuild the wall. And they're like, that must have went over real nice. And he said, well, actually it did. And see these captains, they're here conveying me. I've got a letter here to the king's forest keeper. He's going to give us the wood. All we got to do is build. And then they said, let us rise up and build. They became um, inspired by not Nehemiah, and not really Nehemiah's words, but by the hand of God upon this mission, upon the task. And so, what do we see in verse 19? We also see the response from the opposition. Again, these two guys. But when Sambalat the Horite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will you rebel against the king? And so we see that the two different responses. They weren't concerned with what Artaxerxes said. They weren't concerned about the good hand of God upon Nehemiah and upon this task. They just, they were thinking of themselves. And we need to be cautioned against that. When God is moving in someone's life, we need to be an encouragement. We need to be uh, helpful and there for those people. We don't need to be ones that are, well, that's going to mess up what I'm doing. We need, we, need to, we need to guard against that. And then we see the resolve, again, in the inspiring of the people. Verse number 20. Then answered I and said unto them, this is Nehemiah to Sanballat and Tobiah, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. See the resolve there? He prayed to the God of heaven. The God of heaven had his good hand upon the task. He kept giving him praise. He, he sought after the God of heaven. And he says, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. And you're going to see, as you study Nehemiah, that he was true to his word. Samballad, Tobiah, Tobiah even in chapter 13, at the end of the book, he, he kicks him out of the temple. Uh, one of the priests allowed him in. He gathered up all his stuff and threw him out. He said, you're not going to have any portion here. And God was true to his word, and God worked through Nehemiah. And so the resolve of Nehemiah and the children of Israel was God has prospered us. Because of that prospering, we will arise and build. The wall was completed. The wall that we saw up there a second ago, the whole thing, was completed in 52 days. 52 days. What a miracle of God. But again, we must be willing to do our part. What is it that God wants you to rise up and build? Could it be your testimony? Continue to do that, young people, right? Us older folks, we need to continue to guard against. We need to build on our testimony. How about your marriage, your relationship with your family? with your children. Maybe you're building a Sunday school class or a ministry. 
Whatever it is that God has put in your heart to build, seek his direction. Align your thinking, your heart, with his heart. Make sure you're thoroughly right with him. And then rise up and build. Maybe it's something that needs to be removed. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about something that is preventing you from going forward and to build something in your heart. Whatever it is, let's determine today that we're going to handle it, we're going to rise up, and we're going to build. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, again, thank you so much for your word, for how it speaks to our heart. Lord, thank you for the, the words of Nehemiah, how he purposed in his heart about his sin, about your promises, about what your plan was, and he aligned his thinking with that, and Lord, how you prospered him, how you prospered him. Lord, help us to have that same thinking. Lord, whatever it is that you're speaking to us about, Lord, let us be doing it. Let's not delay anymore. If you've given it to us, if it's something that aligns with your word and your will, Lord, help us to rise up and build. We give you the praise for everything in Jesus' name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.